Hello and welcome to the Social World Podcast. I'm Dave Niven and as always it's a pleasure to have your company. Now today I would like to do something a little bit different and start um, a process of introducing a series of podcasts focusing on the work of local safeguarding children boards. Now I've got the privilege of chairing two of these in England, in Thameside and in Bradford, and I thought that they needed to be more light shone on their work and to listen to the thoughts of those who serve on them. Now they're a statutory body charged with scrutinising the work of safeguarding children in every local authority, and they're made up of senior people from all the relevant disciplines, and they oversee, they encourage, they train, and they scrutinise serious events concerning children. They also liaise closely with other significant boards, such as the Adult Safeguarding Board, the Health and Wellbeing Boards, the uh, Community Safety Partnerships and the Children's Trusts. Now, Bradford board members have actually agreed to talk about their work. And we're going to start with five podcasts. We're going to listen to the Director of Children's Services, the Consultant in Public Health, who also chairs the uh, Child Death Overview Panel in Bradford. We're going to listen to the Senior Police Officer on the board, Uh, the chair of the adult board, who gives good kind of um, liaison with us and uh, and is a very important in terms of the overlaps between vulnerable children and vulnerable adults. And we're going to listen to the head teacher and the person who chairs our education subgroup. Now, all in all, they represent some of the excellent safeguarding work that goes on in this vibrant and this diverse city. I mean, Bradford is a terrific place to live. It's a city of over half a million with an incredibly high number of young people under 18 and a culturally rich city where over 120 languages are spoken. So today... We're going to introduce Michael Jameson, who's the Director of Children's Services, to kickstart this series of podcasts. And as we progress, I hope you'll begin to see the landscape of all these different disciplines and all the different people who are responsible for so many others in the city of Bradford in safeguarding Bradford's children. So let's listen to Michael to start with. I'm joined by Michael Jamieson today, who's the Strategic Director of Children's Services for Bradford. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, David, and uh, yeah, thanks for inviting me as well. Now, we know that there's challenges, we know that there's issues and problems, and I know that your desk must get overloaded sometimes with things that you have to sort out. However, what we want to try and concentrate on today, and we've discussed this, is all the good work that's going on in Bradford, all the children's services are doing you know, good work behind the scenes, and that the people of Bradford deserve to know. So let's sort of ease ourselves into that a bit. What, what sort of things would you like to talk about to start with? Um, well, I mean, firstly, what you said about Bradford is absolutely right, and uh, I'm absolutely um, uh, really impressed by the level of commitment and passion you know, across the partnerships, uh, frontline staff who work incredibly hard and do a very um, um, rewarding job, but in a very, you know, at times quite difficult circumstances. I just thought it may be helpful just to um, to probably highlight three areas which aren't just uh, peculiar to Bradford but national issues. Okay. Um, one is around um, the work and how we respond as a partnership to child sexual exploitation because I think it's so topical. 
um, and deserves the biggest priority. Um, secondly is um, some innovative work we're doing around um, the education safeguarding. Okay. And thirdly, probably just something, again, around innovation, okay. um, where we have a very developed bid in a very advanced stage of um, submission um, around reforming and redesigning social care uh, to give our young people a better chance of succeeding. Right. Well, let's start with child sexual exploitation and our, our um, initiatives in that and our work in that. Yeah, I, just, I, th- I think I've been in Bradford now just over two years. And before I came to Bradford, I've worked in, you know, I've always worked in Greater Manchester in the North West and worked in Oldham uh, for five years as a director for adults and children's. And that was interesting because that was at, that was at the time of Rochdale um, you know, hitting the news. Um, and, you know, in Oldham and, you know, in the North West, we did... Um, some very good work around uh, addressing this. Um, and I think for me in Bradford, I mean, I think there's um, um, what we've done over um, um, a period, and I think it came to light quite recently at an overview and scrutiny committee, which was filmed. It was a very intensive and a very extensive okay. um, scrutiny of what we are doing around children's um, child sexual exploitation. So that's what I want to focus on, really, because I think it starts to crystallise where we're at. No, please do um, so, because yeah. I know from talking to you before that you, you're very much in favour of being as transparent as we can be. Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, that's a really good lead into this, because I think you know, what I walked into in terms of Bradford is um, a lot of understandable noise about what's gone on historically around child sexual exploitation, um, seeing that there's been some real steady progress over the years. Um, but I do think we've moved forward as a partnership over... Um, the recent period as well Um, and at that committee for example the brief was to update the committee on um, how we are responding to child sexual exploitation as a partnership but it probably became conflated with a broader issue about some um, aggrieved people and uh, and also some vociferous uh, complainants um, including an ex-MP uh, who wanted to talk about some of the historical issues as well. Mm-hmm. So going back to the 1990s as well. Um, and, and it was interesting to me because to get into that level of discussion, there's been, you know, there's been some call for an inquiry into, into what's gone on. Um, that's in the public domain. You know, I'm not kind of um, mm-hmm. hiding from those issues. And what I wanted to do firstly was to actually acknowledge how difficult this is as an issue and the kind of abhorrent crime and impact it has on young people and children's futures. Um, but at the same time, show that we are addressing this. We are happy to speak about this in a very open arena, and it was, it was filmed. And, uh, and then you had the media, Look North, also there in ITV as well. Um, and to say, this is what we are doing, we take it very seriously. I think we are making good strides, but we are never complacent about it. Okay, let me, let me just stop you a second, because... Just to clarify a couple of things for people listening. When you talk about partnership, yeah, could you just outline a little bit who some of the key players in that partnership are, so that people in Bradford know, you know, who's joining together here? Yeah, and I suppose in three areas around when I think about child sexual exploitation, there's um, there's three focus in a way. One is around um, um, protection of children, prosecution of perpetrators, and also prevention. And then support to to people, to victims, and also to perpetrators in terms of trying to address 
behavioural and cognitive changes as well. So if you think about the, the kind of public services around that and the voluntary organisations, the police, very, very close, excellent working relationships with the police. Um, schools in terms of prevention, um, you've got to start with parents and the communities. You know, communities have a responsibility for the children within who, where they live, as so do parents. We have to support them in that. Um, health agencies in terms of therapeutic support and we commission quite a lot of um, services through the voluntary sector who do a lot of um, input into uh, direct input into children and uh, either through drama prevention education as well so so there's a raft of agencies quite a landscape isn't it yeah and you know at that meeting at the um, overview and scrutiny um, there was the superintendent in responsible for partnerships there was the safeguarding manager um there was also myself, there was also the voluntary sector representatives as well from Bernardo's and the Children's Society. Um, so a good mix of people, mm-hmm. um, but talking about how we have responded as a partnership. And I think you'll find that the response to that was positive. I mean, that was my understanding after that. that I, I mean, there were one or two people who always will have some issues to do with the past and to do with things that have gone on. And I hope we've managed to steer them in the direction where they can get an airing on that at least but I mean generally speaking the word I got from that was that it was received well um, that's been my feedback as well which I think is important and, and these are difficult meetings because what what you recognise in these roles is when you listen to people who either through family or family experience they talk about kind of um, abuse and se- uh, sexual exploitation in their families as a result of perpetrators you realise about the powerful impact it has and the damage it can cause people as well. And even though we were talking about where we are now, you've got to look back and say, well, could we have improved? Have we improved certain things? And I think what we did do, hopefully, was to try and strike a balance to to acknowledge that. And yes, if we, as a partnership, hadn't done things as we should have done, well, you know, um, we've got to acknowledge that and we've got to learn from that and move on as well. Um, but at the same time, focus on what the real key issues for us today and how we are safeguarding children. So, a couple of examples, if that's okay, David. Um, three years ago, um, a multi-agency hub was set up between the police and the local authority. Yeah. Um, and that was some learning from um, a serious case review, which will be um, published at some time in the future. Um, and that's really helped to kind of um, address some of those issues. So, uh, how we respond... Um, how we identify, how we see the signs, I think has improved immeasurably. Um, there's been a 65% increase in the last 12 months in referrals. Isn't to, that, isn't to that an hope. incredible number? Yeah. Mm. But you can see that in two ways. You can say, well, firstly, it's, mm. it's horrific, it happens. But to me, it shows that we are getting better at recognising the signs um, as a partnership of agencies, including schools and parents. And I think probably the community and parents and agencies are feeling more confident about referring um, and recognising themselves. So I thought that was very positive. That's one example. Um, we have what we call, I know this is jargon, but we call it a nine-point strategic response. It's a plan. It deals with everything from setting up of the hub to therapeutic support to working with communities and also how we are dealing with historical um, uh, issues. And we talked about that at Overview and Scrutiny. Actually, by chance, and it's not by chance, but it, the, well, it is by chance in terms of the time of the interview, we are actually speaking about that at the council executive tomorrow. 
you know, which is in in in, in the uh, kind of a, in the public domain as well. And for the last two years, we've done an annual update about how we are making progress. Um, so we've set up a historical investigation team. You know, the police invested a lot of money into that. We've invested resources into that. Um, so we're trying to address the kind of historical issues and the people to come forward, but at the same time making sure that we respond assertively okay. today, really. Well, let's just keep this theme going, but take it a little bit further, because you and I both know that, I mean, with over 200 schools in Bradford, mm. um, you know, we've got a very high population. I mean, and 29% of the population of Bradford is under 18. So, I mean, we have got a significant young yeah. population as well who, who attend um, schools and colleges in, in the city. Now, the Education Safeguarding Hub is another, what I would call, a success story. Would you like to sort of t- give us a bit of context of that? Um, well, I think it's a success story in terms of how it's in the formation it's together. Really, partners have come yeah. together. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so if you work from the premise that probably children are are do better by being in school, and also are um, um, more safe by being in school, we do have an issue where there are a number of children at any one time who may be in and out of education. They may be missing from education. Um, they parents may have it. Um, um, opted or elected for home education. Um, we also have a number of settings which, um, you know, supplementary schools, you know, madrasas and that type of thing, and knowing what type, what happens and what's the quality. Yeah. But being very clear about what the parameters are because I think the legal framework is very um, uh, very woolly in terms of what, what we can do. So we get criticised for doing what we don't do when sometimes the legislation doesn't allow us to do that. Um, you talked about the growing population. You know, just for information, we we are a population of under 18s of around 100,000. Sorry, so that's school-aged children, 100,000 from 5 to 16. Um, 130,000, from 0 to 18. We know in the next five years we will exceed, you know, uh, other authorities in terms of youth pop- population. The fastest growing in Europe is recognised. Brings wonderful opportunities in terms of the assets of young people and it makes Bradford a very vibrant city but it, as you said from the outset it also provides some challenges. Mm. Um, so um, what we've done around there we actually have and you know there's been some great support and um, vision from the police around this as well you know from um, um, commander to uh, Simon Atkins and p- putting our resources together so we have a hub we come together on a daily basis to look at all the information of children coming in and out of um, school-based settings. Um, so if I tell you, for example, that every school um, is duty-bound to report a child leaving the, their roles to the local authority, but that if I then tell you that that doesn't apply to independent schools, but it's been changed this year through legislation, you know, you, we are dependent on schools notifying the local authority. Yeah, um, yeah. So but the, I've visited that meeting. Okay. I've visited yeah. that daily meeting, and I've got to say, I have been very, very impressed by the dedication and the numbers of cases that they manage to get through. It's about thirty or forty every week that they actually have to consider. I mean, I, I think it's a very, very good initiative. Yeah, and I, I think what it shows is that once you start to join up information, so you know, health, police, um, social care. You know, we have. 
and education, we have different information on the children, and you start to join it up and you have live conversations with people. The Department for Working Pensions, DWP, about some of the, how we can access some of that information. These are some of the permissions we're asking for. Um, what, I, you know, it, it is unique. We haven't recognised anybody else in the country who's uh, developed this approach. Um, I think our intelligence levels are much superior than they were, you know, 12 months ago. Um, and we've actually submitted that into the Department for Education for a, um, a bid for innovation monies. Well, let's go thought, and, just go on yeah. and talk about this because I think some of the bids that we've put together or you've put together, I mean, to do with improving the safety of Bradford's children, you know, need to be discussed more because I think it's a good. Yeah, I, mean, I think this bid is truly innovative, the Education Safeguarding Hub, and and also it's innovative in at a time of increasing fragmentation in the education landscape. Mm-hmm. And this isn't a judgment on, you know, academies or non-academies. The whole governance arrangements in schools continues to change, and how we how we exercise a role to make sure that all vulnerable children are safe, I think will increasingly challenge um, safeguarding boards, local authorities, however you define them moving forward in terms of safeguarding boards. Um, so we put that bid in. Um, it goes beyond uh, the ambition is to go beyond the kind of the tracking of children. What we want to do is to ensure that every education provider and setting and that can be independent schools we have a conference tomorrow which you're speaking at as well with alternative providers um, is that they subscribe to a standard probably around six domains really which would include issues around it's probably health and well-being you would describe in broader terms yeah. about child sexual ex- exploitation about domestic abuse about cyberbullying you know all that type of um, all those all those areas really. So that's what we want to to um, develop as a kind of an offer and a standard and ensure that all schools are are signing up to that. So by way of example, um, we commissioned a play to go to, around to our secondary schools, someone's sister, someone's daughter. Now through police crime commissioner investment, we've rolled that out across West Yorkshire. Um, that to me is really powerful, informative, educative information to to school-based audiences. But how do we know which schools are really kind of subscribing to it? How do we roll it out to year six? How do we know which establishments aren't fully engaging in that kind of, in those areas? And it's that level of intelligence really. So to be more proactive um, than just reacting to children going missing, for example. How do you measure change? How do you measure development? How do you measure success? That these questions, I suspect, are what you're you're asking about. Yeah, uh, it's it's difficult to. I mean, ultimately, how you measure children being safe is always um, is is always quite questionable, really. I mean, we have a range of proxy indicators. I, I, you know, I do see an increase in referral rates as increased confidence. Um, in terms of how we respond, how we detect, and how we intervene more appropriately, mm-hmm. is something you only know with the judgments of time. Um, we, you know, we do have a number of proxy indicators. Um, but for me, the education safeguarding hub is that we will have fewer children out of school. And if, if children and parents choose elective home education, which is within their rights, and the vast majority of children who are electively home educated have, you know, have a really good deal, um, we just know that there is something about children being saved, and secondly, mm-hmm. that there are um, um, that they have some quality education offer. And probably thirdly, I mean, Sir Michael Woolshaw would probably use 
are standard around unregistered schools. And it's interesting, through our very, very sophisticated intelligence now, we haven't yet picked up those unregistered schools. Um, mm. We've had referrals, we've had information, soft intelligence, we've, we've looked into this, but it's not what it seems. Whereas some other local authorities have had bigger challenges. I expect you that. would say, though, that if there are any, and I, I take your point about we haven't come across them, even though how hard we've been looking, but if there are any out there who happen to be listening to the programme as well, we would just encourage people to come forward and talk to us because otherwise, you know, we can. It, it's not just a question of being registered in bureaucracy. It's a question of support and a question of kind of colleague support too, isn't yeah. it? Uh, absolutely. And that's the thinking behind the, um, the conference and the alternative providers. So there's got to be an incentive, hasn't there, really? Sometimes it's misunderstanding. Um, but there's got to be real engagement with us, and that's what we do. And we use our full range of intelligence. It's not children's services, it's the police, it's the local authority. You're looking at planning permission. There's a number of uh, avenues into that. When I say we haven't had any, we have had a number of concerns. When we've looked into it, it's not quite what it seems in terms of being an unregistered school. But we have responded to one or two Concretely, I think well. we're fairly clear though. There are not like hundreds of places that, that are not registered that we don't we don't know about. We're we're talking about probably much 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 smaller numbers, and yeah. we we will in time discover them. Yeah, and and I think part of this, I mean, and these are the kind of the 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 conversations we need to ha- to have publicly as well. But part of the recent publicity of last nine months around this has been because of the prism of extremism and radicalisation. Mm-hmm. Now, you know what you also know, you know, being you know, so I don't come across as naive in any way, is that there are some settings where you know that um, children have been, had access to different information, which isn't appropriate, and so we've got to be able to deal with that. Uh, and respond to that. Now, they they aren't at an unregistered school. They may be in a setting which is absolutely legal, but in terms of the quality of what goes on, um, and I think that's where Sir Michael Wilshaw was approaching some of this, really, in terms of how do we know what happens mm-hmm. in those settings. I think, too, though, you put your finger on it earlier, didn't you? You talked about the fact that um, people are getting more confident now. The public are becoming more confident about coming forward with them with matters. This is historically, you know, the historical abuse situations. People who were survivors of historical mm-hmm. abuse are getting more confident in, in social services and the police being far more informed, far more sensitive, far more aware of how to work with them and how to kind of take them through what's still a very traumatic situation. And that's, a lot of it is down to the good work that you and your department are doing as well, isn't it? I mean, I would say that. Um, I, I, this work was in trend before I arrived in Bradford. Do you know, no, no, you know, genuinely it was, and uh, yeah, I mean, you got to um, enhance it and develop things, and I think that has happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I do acknowledge that where I've had to focus on certain areas, and and it's interesting because what I'm about, I think, I think what the political leadership and the chief executive is about is about transparency, and the feedback I had, you know, from quite an interesting source, which was the. Uh, the, uh, the local media outlet, the Telegraph and Argus, their feedback um, was that they thought that was probably the best meeting they'd been to, council meeting, in terms of transparency and openness and honesty. And I think 
I heard the words, or the words were fed back to me along the lines of, nobody could say there's a cover-up in terms of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but for whatever reason, people have felt that yeah. over the years, and I think we do have to do a lot more to restore confidence. Well, that's in terms what we work for, isn't it? We yeah. work for the community. Yeah. And if they're <laughs> transparently, and uh, if we're transparent and they're satisfied to a large extent, that's what we want. And the community has to, you know, we, part of that nine-point plan is about how we engage with the community, how do they take responsibility for what goes on. Because I think when you see some of the scale of some of the abuse, and I've said this publicly um, uh, in, in, in a local um, uh, mosque as well, if I think about the history of kind of um, uh, institutional abuse, if you think about Catholic education, if you think about the BBC, if you think about some of the kind of urban grooming in streets around Bradford and some other places in the UK, it beggars belief to me that people didn't know what was going on and that broader community. Yeah. And that's within you know the school, if that's within the BBC, if that's within certain communities where you know we had 12 convictions um, early this year. You know, I just think, you know, I've, I've said that, it's quite controversial, but... You know, you do. You, you should be asking the questions. What's happening? Now you're a key member of the the, the Safeguarding Children Board. Um, how do you see future? I mean, this is the end, if you like, of the interview. Kind of giving you one last opportunity to mm. speak, possibly to those in Bradford who are listening and, and yeah. wider. What sort of message would you give out to the community in Bradford as to the future as you see it, given the good initiatives that you've been talking about? Yeah, and just before I move on from good initiatives, I just I just do want to mention that we, we are in the uh, very, very final stage, down to the final three, for um, innovation bid for That's good. children in care and children on the cusp of care as well, because what we know about the outcomes overall aren't where they should be. And that's uh, building on some really good evidence from elsewhere about wrapping support around young people in care, about the carers, better access to support and psychology and help. Um, and also, across the whole partnership, we've decided to use what we call a signs of safety approach, which is a strength-based approach in terms of how you respond to families and how you intervene in families, looking at the strengths within the family and some of the problem-solving skills, and instead of thinking everything's a deficit and everything's an issue. In terms of the future of safeguarding boards, I've, I've been in this area of work a long time, um, and you know we've had children's trusts which were put on statutory settings. Then hasn't been. It's the same with safeguarding boards. At the end of the day, local authorities with all its partners has to exercise what I call a place-based leadership. So it's got to understand where the risks are, where the opportunities are within the community, and it's got to have an arrangement. If we call it a safeguarding board, or we call it something different, you know, because of a recent review. It's secondary to me, but as, far, as long as I'm in Bradford, we will always have, even though you chair the board, David, it's your call, we will always have a partnership board yeah. around safeguarding children and, and vulnerable adults as well. You have to. It? And we've got Safeguarding Week coming up, haven't we? We have, yeah. Middle of yeah. October, 17th to the 21st. Yeah. And I think that's a real showcase of you know, what we are trying to do in um, a very difficult area and how we are trying to improve our learning and our practice as well. And it's open to the public to come along, and there's some really kind of uh, informative sessions. So, yeah, and I said it to Look North, and it's probably something I could end on, really, is um, I do see the referrals coming through as a, um increased confidence in what we're about. And all I do is that I urge 
people to still feel more confident about us, about what we're doing, and to do that with us and to work together with us as well and be part of this journey. Um, because um, no matter how we're improving, we've still got a long way to go. We can never be complacent. Michael Jamison, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, David.